We want you to be more and more that this morning as David's here, God. Just speak through him. Listen through us, God. And do your thing, Holy Spirit. We're waiting. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, team. You guys bless us every morning. Thank you for that, for leading us into a time of awesome, amazing worship. We will continue uh, this time of worship as we, uh, we dig into God's Word this morning. Welcome, everybody. Hope uh, everybody is doing well, enjoying spring. I think we're done with snow. What do you think? You know, of course, it isn't June yet, right, in Rapid City, so you never know. So, but uh, again, welcome. Hope you uh, enjoy your time of just continued. We are continuing this morning our progressive walk through the book of Romans, the amazing book of Romans. Today's message I've entitled God's faithfulness. And uh, this word, faithfulness, what is your definition of faithfulness? Donovan challenged us to think about our definition of the word gospel, all right? And I pray as we are walking through this time today that you will likewise have a good definition of God's awesome, amazing faithfulness to you and I. Faithfulness, I believe, is a word that describes someone who keeps their promises. All right? Faithfulness is also the glue, the glue that keeps our actions adhering to our promises. Those things that we promise to do, faithfulness is the encouragement to make sure we do them. All right, when we think about this word faithfulness, specifically God's faithfulness, I hope that's a comforting thing to you. I hope that's a comforting thing when we talk about this word faithfulness. I hope you've experienced that faithfulness in your life. But maybe where you are right now, you're wondering about his faithfulness because you're not really feeling it. I hope as we continue on through this discussion that you recognize no matter what happens in your life, no matter what you're experiencing, God's faithfulness holds true. God's faithfulness is something that you can hold on to no matter what happens in your life. Today we're going to continue on walking uh, through the... Uh, chapter 3 of Romans, beginning with verse 1, uh, working up through verse 18. And, and, and keep in mind, as we look through this book of Romans, these first few chapters, specifically the first four chapters of Romans, Paul is dismantling a variety of false beliefs that have built up over time. And once we get to chapter 5 in a couple weeks here, he's going to begin to start building on that dismantled foundation He's going to start building on the dismantled foundation with his truth and equipping us as believers to live out this life that God has called us to, all right? And today, we're going to be walking through uh, a few of these sections pretty quick, all right? We're going to be hanging out in a few other ones. The purpose of walking through them quick is to encourage you to dig further into that in your own individual or in your group study. We do have uh, study materials in the back. Uh, for, for this week as well as all the weeks we've led up to thus far and I would encourage you to pick those up on your way out if you don't have those already but before we go any further let's pray Father we do thank you for your word we thank you that it becomes alive through the spirit through your spirit that you have given each and every one of us may we have ears that you have prepared to hear your word today Father we love you and we thank you for your awesome, overriding love for us. Amen. Verse 1, Romans 3, verse 1. Paul starts off 
with a couple of questions that go to the heart of the Jewish belief. He's asking the question, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Because he had just pointed out in chapter 2, specifically verse 25, that a Jew is not better off than a Gentile if they don't fully obey God's law. All right? This revelation, these words spoken by Paul, were shocking to the Jews. Many of them believed that being born Jewish, simply being born into the right family, and for some, being marked by circumcision, was enough for them to one day enter into heaven. All right? So for them to hear that maybe obedience was not enough was shocking. They believed in many respects that their performance what they did outwardly was what mattered to God. How they lived their life is what gained their entrance into heaven. They didn't even consider, in many respects, that God was looking at something deeper, that God was looking at their hearts. They didn't even consider that outside their performance, God was looking to something deeper, maybe their faith. God makes it clear throughout his word, and we've studied it thus far here in the book of Romans, that obedience to the law, just obedience to the law, is not enough to save. There is a purpose in the law, which we've talked about, and that purpose is to drive us to Jesus. The purpose of the law is to reveal our fallen nature. There is a purpose to the law, but the law itself was designed to simply fulfill that purpose. But the Jews continued to emphasize their performance, their outward manifestations of what they believed was going to allow them to enter into heaven. But what matters to God, and Paul lays this out so clear through these first three chapters, that performance is not what pleases God that our outward performance is not what gains his pleasure. What matters to God, what matters to our Heavenly Father, is this, it's, his, it's our faith. And our faith is our belief in things that aren't necessarily seen. Faith is specifically in what Jesus did on the cross. With that faith, and with the cleansing blood of Jesus, do you recognize, do we recognize that we are pleasing to him right where we are today? Do we recognize that our Heavenly Father today is pleased with us? If you have placed your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, I want you to know God is pleased with you. And that faith that faith is what matters to God. It's not the outward manifestation. What leads first to salvation, that faith, also leads to the grace for living. I'll call that God's sustaining grace. And both, both are free gifts from our Heavenly Father. And, and, and as Paul is saying here, it's not a question of advantage. It's not a question of advantage. 
It's the answer of God's faithfulness to you and to I. And Paul continues here in verse 2 by answering that question that he posed in verse 1 about what is the advantage of being a Jew. He responds, great, in every respect. First of all, first of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. All right? That's an awesome thing. We're going to talk about other things that gave the Jews advantage when we get to chapter 9, but he's focusing here in this section on recognizing the fact that, that you Jewish believers were given the word of God. You were given God's teaching. You were encouraged to write it down. You were entrusted with his word. And this word entrust, when we look back to that word, it means to study and it means to share. The Jewish believers were given the Old Testament for the purpose of studying it and then sharing that truth with others. And today, we've also been given the opportunity to study God's Word. We've been given the opportunity to dig in His Word in awesome, amazing ways. There are resources today at our disposal that allow us to dig into biblical truth in amazing ways. You each have this blue insert in your bulletins, and we listed uh, a number of biblical resources, not in any particular order, but a number of resources here, six of them, not in any again, particular order, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but these are some amazing resources that we have at our disposal today to dig deeper into God's Word. But as we are digging into His Word, what is your purpose of studying? What is your purpose of digging into God's Word? Is it to gain knowledge? Great. But knowledge itself, kept internally, has a tendency to puff us up. All right? That knowledge, however, that is utilized to change us, that knowledge that gives us a deeper understanding of who we are in Christ, a deeper understanding of God's awesome love for us is a great thing. That knowledge that we can find in God's Word changes us if we allow that knowledge to go deep. What is your purpose as you study God's Word? Is it to grow deeper in that understanding of who you are and then also to share that with others? So that's what Paul has encouraged the believers to recognize, that they have been given God's word. And he continues on here in verse 3 by asking another question. All right? and, and this is a really typical form of Paul's writing. He will ask a question, and then guess what? He answers his own question. And this question here is, what then? If some did not believe... Their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? And he uses a phrase here to answer his own question. In this version, the NASB, it says, May it never be. This phrase, may it never be, is used ten times throughout the book of Romans. And it can be translated into our own language today that says, No way! Or absolutely not! That's the terminology that Paul uses here. He's saying that there is no way that our unbelief 
could or would ever cause God to be unfaithful. And he goes on to say, rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Those are the words of David very soon after he was confronted with the adultery, the murder, and the cover-up. Right? Those are David's words, recognizing that even in the midst of those challenging times, that God remains faithful. Faithfulness says to each and every one of us, I won't fail you. I won't quit on you. Paul is saying here, even, even if we don't believe that that unbelief cannot change God's faithfulness to you. Even unbelief. And think about throughout God's word, does it not capture God's faithfulness? And candidly, in many ways, our unbelief, our ways of trying to get our needs met our own ways. Even when God's people sank to the lowest forms of idolatry, trying to pull life from things that were never designed to give us life, God remains faithful. He always does. I hope today that the truth of God's faithfulness meets you right where you are in your season of life. I hope that faithfulness encourages you. God promises to continue to do what he has promised to do in your life. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. God uses those challenging things in your life for good. Those are are things that we can hold true to throughout his word and, and with an overriding view that throughout all of them, throughout all of those promises, God remains faithful. Paul goes on, beginning in verse 5, and he tackles a belief. He's bringing down some, some areas of untruth. And this one is so preposterous that Paul actually excuses himself for bringing it up. But he tackles it head on. He says here in verse 5, But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking in human terms. That's, that's Paul's excuse right there for having to even bring this up. In verse 6, he says, May it never be the next time that he uses that phrase. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why, why am I also being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. What Paul is addressing here is a practice called justification of sin. The thought process, the thought process behind it, it was go ahead and sin. 
Just go ahead and sin and do whatever you want to prove how righteous God is. Said another way, let's do all this evil so that we can show how good God is. It's like saying, let's pray for sickness so the doctors will have a chance to show how good they are in healing us. Or let's pray that our house starts on fire so we can allow the local firemen to prove that the skills that they've learned are good. It's a crazy thought process that Paul is dealing with here, but he takes it on. And the fact remains that, that certainly God can bring good things out of bad decisions, but that fact alone does not justify the bad choice. Let me say that again so we get that. The fact that God can bring good things out of bad choices doesn't justify the bad choice. That's what Paul's saying here. I hope we recognize, and we're going to talk a little bit more in this next section, about the cost of sin. Paul is laying that foundation here as we get into verse 9 by bringing, in, bringing down an unbelief. And that is, hey, I can do whatever I want because it shows how good God is. That doesn't justify the bad choice. In verse 9, Paul asks, so what then? What then? Are we better than they? We as in the Jews. Paul was a Jew, all right? And they, the Gentiles. Paul answers that question very quickly. Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. He lays out here that both Jews and Gentiles, okay, the Greeks were the Gentiles, that all of us, every single one of us, are under sin. And this, this term, under sin, means we are guilty of sin. Two weeks ago, Pastor Ben brought up this, this, this idea that we are not all good. Okay? Last week, Bill honed in on the fact that we have all fallen short. All right? As we're, as we're continuing to walk through this first part of Romans. And so what is Paul's purpose in continuing to bring this up? He did it in chapter 1. He did it in chapter 2. Now he's bringing up the same thing in chapter 3. What's his purpose in bringing that up? Paul's purpose in continuing to bring up this fact that we have fallen short is to bring us to a constant recognition of our need for Jesus as our Savior. That's his purpose. His purpose is not to condemn. His purpose is to bring us to that constant recognition of a need for Jesus, our deep need. And Paul supports his position here that we are all under sin by quoting God's word, the ultimate authority. He goes through verses 10 through 18, and we're not going to read through every single one of them, but Paul is repeating here a compilation of scriptures from the Psalms, from the Proverbs, from the book of Isaiah. And he takes some ideas from the book of Ecclesiastes and he lays out these verses, 10 through 18. He's saying here, apart from God, 
apart from what God's doing in your life. Verse 10 says, there is none righteous, not even one. Verse 12 says, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. These verses paint a pretty grim picture of mankind. In so many ways, apart from God, apart from the work of God in our life, we've fallen short, every single one of us. As we think about our walks, each and every one of us brings different experiences in life to our current walk with Jesus. These experiences in our life created, really in our minds, certain unique ways and patterns. The ways that we went about getting our needs met before we knew Jesus. Some writers call those ways and those patterns our flesh patterns. But as a new creation, as one who has placed our faith in what Jesus did on the cross, we are given a new life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified. It is no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives inside of me. We are given a new source of life. It is not those old ways that we went about getting our needs met before we knew Jesus. Our new life source is Jesus. Our new source of life is our Heavenly Father. That's the truth. But in so many ways, in so many ways, the enemy is still attempting to lie to us. Is still attempting to deceive us. And he primarily uses those old ways that we went about getting our needs met before we knew Jesus to get us to trip up to get us to deceive us, to get us to believe his lies and his deceptions. And the source of sin is believing in some lie or some deception. And in so many ways, in so many ways, even today as new creations, we do slip up. We do slip up but sin no longer has control of us. Sin no longer can continue in an unending way to deceive us. It no longer has control. Guys, God has not fallen short. The good news of the matter is that God remains faithful even when we fall short, even when we have believed a lie of some sort, God has not fallen short. And what's amazing, he has provided the amazing cure for that sickness. It's called forgiveness. God, through the cleansing work of Jesus on the cross, has forgiven us all of our past, 
All of our present, all of our future sins are washed away because of the cleansing work of Jesus on the cross. And what's more, beyond this cure, what's more, he's also given us the remedy to keep sin from controlling us. And it's not by working harder. It's not by trying harder to put that action behind us. It is recognition of the truth that you have hope. And that comes in the form of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the remedy of sin control in our life. We will have our flesh patterns with us until we meet Jesus face to face. Those flesh patterns will be with us. But as a new creation, those patterns no longer have control over us. We're going to dig into that further when we get into Romans 6, 7, and 8. Stay tuned for that. It's going to be an awesome discussion. But over all of these verses that talk about our fallen flesh, God has painted another verse. All right? And it shows why this news is the good news. It's John 3.16. We've read it in our, in our walks many times. We've seen it displayed at baseball games and at tennis matches and football games. Probably don't see it at a lot of concerts. Maybe we do. I just haven't seen it. All right? John 3.16. I hope, I hope we look at this verse with that backdrop of our fallen nature. I hope we look at this verse with fresh eyes. We're going to take a look at it here in the message version. The message version is a paraphrase, all right? It's a paraphrase of God's word, but I think it captures God's gift here that he's given to each and every one of us in an awesome way. And we're going to read through verse 18. It's going to come up on the screens here. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has, has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. This passage captures God's faithfulness. This passage lays out the personification of God's faithfulness. That's the gift that he gave his Son to each and every one of us. Freedom is found by believing and by trusting in that finished work of the cross and also the new life given to each and every one of us through Jesus' resurrection. I hope today you are experiencing God's faithfulness. I hope through your experiences, God has made his faithfulness so clear to you. I pray, though, that as we walk through our day, 
as we walk into tomorrow, as we walk into that situation in the doctor's office on Tuesday afternoon. I hope you feel and experience in a deep way God's faithfulness to you. It's the promise, his promise to you that he will fulfill what he set out to do in your life. That's the truth. That's the truth that Paul desires to lay out, I believe, in this section. And as we think about God's faithfulness, Tom, if you guys want to come back up. As we think about God's faithfulness, this morning we're going to celebrate communion. Okay? Jesus encouraged us to do this in remembrance of him. As a church, we gather together regularly to enjoy this remembrance of communion. I hope today, I hope today that this remembrance causes you to think about his faithfulness. We're going to pass the tray. Ushers and elders, if you guys want to come up and start. We're going to pass the tray. What I would encourage you to do Take the cup, take the bread, then pause. Then pause. Pause to reflect God's faithfulness to you. Pause to acknowledge His faithfulness. And maybe if you're not feeling that faithfulness right now, I encourage you, ask for that faithfulness. Go ahead, guys. Start passing out. I pray that God reveals that faithfulness to you right where you are right now. Enjoy your time with him. Tom and the group will continue to pray, and when you're ready, when you're ready, take and eat and drink, and then you may go. As we wrap up today, if you are wondering about God's faithfulness, if you have some questions about what's going on in your life, if you want someone to pray with you, we will have a group down here, my left, your right, as we wrap up. Feel free to come as God may lead you. And if nothing else comes on your heart, when you're done with communion, you're free to go. Have a great morning.
sing that chorus together sing it to him great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by 